This is Bigger Pockets Daily. No rest for us on a Sunday. I'm Tyler, and every day I read a different article from the Bigger Pockets real estate blog. You can listen to one of these shows each day, or you can go wild and binge through the whole catalog. This isn't a new show, and most of these articles outline concepts that stand the test of time. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Managing your finances used to be a pain. It was either useless apps or overcomplicated spreadsheets. Ugh. But now with Monarch Money, managing your money is easier than ever. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. You can even collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor at no extra cost to get a joint view of all your finances. Customize your dashboard, notifications, and budgets with a tap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show right here will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash bigger for your extended 30-day free trial. Opinion. I don't trust anyone who wholesales. Here's why. By Darren Sager. I've been investing in real estate for more than 20 years. No matter where we are in the market cycle, people are always looking for a deal. I've been asked on a consistent basis if I know any good wholesalers, and every time I hear that question, I wince. My response to pretty much anyone who's asked me is the same. Over and over again, I say, I have not met a single person in the NYC area who's worthwhile as a wholesaler. I explain further that, in my opinion... They can be greedy, they can't calculate repair costs, they sometimes cherry-pick comps that show the properties in the best light and disregard less-than-flattering comps, many of which appraisers would use. And that's just the beginning of the story. In my opinion, wholesaling isn't the way to go. My opinion is that many who wholesale on a regular basis dabble in gray areas in terms of the law. In my area, I see bandit signs all the time offering people cash for their property. I also get calls and text messages from wholesalers asking me if I want to sell one of our rentals. The majority of the time, 
What most people don't realize is that person putting up the signs or calling and texting you has zero intention of actually purchasing the property themselves. So, from the get-go, there's a dishonest motive to their actions. What I realize is, in the end, there are wholesalers who are only in it for themselves and no one else. Despite what some of them think, they aren't out there providing a good service for real estate investors. As real estate agents and members of the National Association of Realtors, NAR, we take an oath which binds us to act as a fiduciary for our clients, who are buyers and sellers. I'm not going to claim that all realtors actually live up to this oath. Unfortunately, they don't. There are a number in the industry of more than 1.3 million who are only concerned with themselves too. However, I do think they are the minority and there is a difference between someone who's a licensed agent and those who are members of the NAR. Members take the oath, while licensed agents do not. But non-members still have to do business based upon state laws, which restrict their actions. In most cases, net listing a property is clearly illegal. You might be thinking, wait a second, Darren, I thought you were talking about wholesaling a property. Yes, I am, 100%. But to understand wholesaling, you also need to understand net listings. So, let's dive in and look at both through a fictional example. What is a net listing in real estate? Susan is an elderly homeowner. She's been in her home for more than 25 years and has not been able to keep up all the typical homeowning duties. So, there's a lot of deferred maintenance, to say the least. Susan wants to move to a place where the cost of living is less or where she can be closer to her children and grandkids. She calls up Alan Southgarden, who's the most famous local real estate agent she knows. Alan comes to Susan's home and sees that it's ripe for a remodel in today's tight inventory. He sees an opportunity here to profit. So he asks Susan all the standard questions, i.e., where she'd like to move, when, etc., then Alan asks her what she thinks her home is worth. Susan replies she thinks it's worth $260,000. Alan asks if she would be happy if he was able to net her two hundred sixty dollars for the home, and she confirms she would. So, Alan guarantees her she's going to receive two hundred sixty dollars for the home outside of any legal fees and taxes associated with the sale. Susan is happy! Alan, being the sharp agent he is, knows that Susan's home is worth at least $410,000 in the current market. With an investment of $75,000 in repairs, the home could be worth at least $650,000 based upon the comps he knows of. So, Alan shops the property to his list of investors in cash buyers who can close quickly and shows the home to those interested. More than one jump on the opportunity Alan has presented. The home gets bid up, to $428,000. Meanwhile, Susan is completely unaware. All she knows is that she's getting a buyer to pay her $260,000 and she can move closer to her grandkids. At the closing table, Susan is shocked. She was completely oblivious to the fact that Alan was actually selling the house for $428,000, equating to a payday of $168,000 for him She's furious, and rightfully so. Alan was not acting as a fiduciary for Susan. He was acting in his own best interest. This is an example of a real estate agent doing a net listing. You can see why it's against the law in most states. 
What is wholesaling in real estate? So, what if Alan was a wholesaler and not a real estate agent? Here's how that scenario would look. Alan purchases a list of homeowners who've been in their home greater than X number of years. Susan is in the same scenario described above, sitting in her home with lots of deferred maintenance. She gets a call from Alan. He says he's interested in purchasing her home all cash. He's been looking to find a place to live in the area. Would she consider selling to him directly? Susan, as mentioned, wants to live closer to her grandkids, so she says yes. Alan comes over and does a walkthrough. On the spot, knowing the home's potential, he asks Susan what she wants for the home. She tells him $260,000. Alan agrees to buy it for that amount. Alan has Susan sign a contract to sell her home. However, he tells her that he's not sure how he wants to close on the home. He may want to close in an LLC to protect his privacy or purchase it with some friends or family members if he can't get a mortgage on his own. So, he makes sure that the contract is assignable to another entity. Susan agrees. Alan also explains to Susan that he's going to need to take some photos and have his contractors walk through the home on several occasions. He'd also like to walk through with some of his students in the housing industry. That way, he can teach them what he plans to do with the home. Again, Susan agrees to let those things happen and locks herself into a binding contract she's now beholden to. Then... Alan gets to it. He creates an estimate of the repairs necessary, only $48,000. He scours Zillow and Trulia to look at sales of homes in the area, decides to ignore some of the sales that actually took place on Susan's block, and determines that the after-repair value of the home would be $710,000. Alan prices the property at $450,000 and creates a marketing sheet with all the numbers and photos of the property. He uploads them to Dropbox so that they're easily accessible to anyone. He reaches out to his cash buyers and those who can close quickly with hard money. Due to the limited inventory available at the time, demand from the list is high, especially with the numbers he puts out. He set a date for the walkthrough. Alan lets Susan know that he's going to have his students come on the following Saturday, and she agrees. He asks, if it would be possible for her to not be there. She says she can find something else to do at that time. Alan has more than 20 parties show up, and he parades them around the home. Many are interested. He winds up getting multiple offers, but none are near his asking price. It seems they were aware of the actual average price of recent home sales on this specific block, only $650,000. He agrees to work with a buyer he's done business with in the past. The offer price is $418,000. The buyer wants to do a home inspection on the house, so Alan lets Susan know he's sending his contractors through the home. Ugh. Upon inspection, there is some structural work needed. The buyer wants a credit of $10,000 to take care of the necessary repairs. Alan goes back to Susan, letting her know that he's now unable to give her the $260,000 because he wasn't aware of the issue. He can only give her $250,000. She reluctantly agrees because she wants out of the home. Come closing day, Susan goes to the title company and is greeted by more people than anticipated. She quickly learns Alan decided not to purchase her home directly. Someone else is, through the LLC that Alan set up. Alan is just there to collect a check made out to him for $168,000. 
Susan is furious. And there's nothing she can do. She's in a binding contract. What's the difference between net listing and wholesaling? So, what's the difference between the two situations? Both resulted in a $168,000 payday. However, one is against the law in almost every state, and the other is not. Personally, I see no difference between the two ethically and morally. Yet, I will admit that the prospect of making that type of cash from a transaction, or even half, or a quarter of that amount, is quite alluring. But in my opinion, both are taking advantage of someone else. Whether a seller is completely unaware this is going on, or a seller is in a tough situation financially that they need to get out of, Alan isn't doing what's best for them. In both cases, he was only thinking about himself and his payday. How is it? that one is legal to do and the other is not. My opinion is it's a mere technicality. In each instance, Allen didn't take possession of the property and the net effect was the same. It seems that the state of Illinois has recently caught on to this fact and put measures in place to reduce this practice by requiring wholesalers to now have real estate licenses if executing more than one transaction a year. But I don't think that's going nearly far enough. At some point, I believe all states should make the practice of wholesaling illegal. Sure, there's a big difference if one wanted to purchase a property then suddenly could not and they were trying to salvage a deal somehow. But the systematic approach of doing what Alan did over and over should be outlawed. At least, I think so. Wholesaling tactics I personally am not okay with. Wholesalers, unlike real estate agents, can say or do whatever they like to get you interested in a property. It's funny. I even got an email from a wholesaler as I was writing this. In it, they describe their property as such. This project is ideal for an investor looking for a medium level of renovation on a project in the desirable XXX market. Properties are selling quickly and values continue to rise as investor activity grows in the area. Well... The data that I can see tells a different story. Prices over the last 12 months are down, not up. What gives? A licensed agent is not allowed to mislead. We can get sued. Every brokerage is required to carry something called E&O insurance, which stands for errors and omissions. That's right. Real estate brokers get sued often enough that we're required to carry this insurance as agents. In fact, many agents don't start their own brokerages because of E&O risk. Existing brokerages do whatever they can to reduce the ENO risk by making sure that all required documentation is signed off on by buyers and sellers. This is also why most brokerages don't allow agents to wholesale. Wholesaling is the wild west of real estate transactions. Agents who do it put the brokerage at incredible risk. Those brokerages that allow it, I actually question where their heads are at. You can't rate wholesalers on Zillow, Trulia, or any major real estate website or app. Google, Facebook, or other possible ways, yes. But who's rating them there? If someone is, it's most likely their favorite investors who got a deal from them and not the property owner, as most likely would be the case on Zillow or Trulia. People can't track the performance of the wholesaler and read reviews written by who matters most, the person whose property was exchanged. As licensed agents, our deals are scrutinized daily. Wholesalers can be here one day and gone the next.
they can operate in any state and not have any knowledge about the area. I believe many are simply trying to make the largest spread they possibly can on every deal they put out. Real estate agents are, in most cases, required to sit in classes to get licensed. It can take anywhere from 70 up to 150 hours. We're fingerprinted and have to do continuing education every two years, which always, always, always includes classes on ethics. With the advent of the Supra Key, we get tracked on every home we key into, so it's known who goes in and out of every residence. And since the advent of the COVID crisis, we have additional forms here in New Jersey that we need to have buyers and sellers sign. Wholesalers? They don't have to do anything. Zero. They report to no one. Anyone can get into wholesaling today and be gone tomorrow. Maybe you don't feel how I do. But Darren, there are some good wholesalers out there that do provide a good service to others. They've helped a number of homeowners get out of a tough situation and move forward with their lives. And they actually tell the homeowner what they're doing ahead of time when they first meet them. That may very well be the case. My opinion is similar to what I said earlier about realtors who act outside the oath they make. Wholesalers who actually conduct their business in good faith with respect to the seller are among the vast minority. To the wholesalers, why not get your license and do exactly what you're doing in a way that's responsible? I think those who aren't willing perhaps feel that the commission rates, which average 5%, 6%, 7% for agents, are just not enough for them. Plus, they'd have to do more as an agent to earn the same amount to boot, and they'd have to report to someone else. All this means they'd need to be accountable to their state finance boards and their clients, and there are some who just don't want any part of that. So, as the saying goes, caveat emptor. To all of you who think you're getting a deal from a wholesaler, and more importantly, caveat vendetta, seller, beware. Okay, that about wraps up today's show. If you're hungry for more visual content, did you know Bigger Pockets has a YouTube channel? You can find series, investment property walkthroughs, live videos, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash biggerpockets or biggerpockets.com slash YouTube. Either way, see you back here tomorrow.